Southwestern Family of Companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. Hello, and welcome to the Action Catalyst. This is Dan Moore. Today, we're speaking with Bill Ottman, the co-founder and CEO of Minds. Minds is an open source, community-owned social network dedicated to privacy, free speech, monetization, and decentralization. He co-founded it in 2011, and the site now has over 2.5 million users. So welcome to the Action Catalyst, Bill. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. So to kick things off, you've said before that Minds is the number one competitor to Facebook. That's a big statement. Can you explain how that's the case? The way I break down competition is that, you know, you sort of have mainstream social media, which is all existing in a certain paradigm of their code is is all secret. Their algorithms are all secret. You know, there's pretty bad censorship happening. They're really putting the users last as opposed to first. And so, you know, I consider us along with a couple of others in the open source realm in the decentralized realm to be the top competitors because you know you have alternative social networks like instagram tumblr like those are they're bigger than us but i don't consider them to actually be alternatives because they're all existing in the same web 2.0 surveillance paradigm in web 3 which is now emerging you sort of have these networks that are community owned users come first so ultimately, what users would experience is a more open platform in terms of things like privacy, freedom of speech, and how you store your money. Yeah. And, you know, I think that just to touch on the free speech issue a little bit, you know, we're very much non-political. Unfortunately, unfortunately free speech has been politicized over the last five years. And, you know, traditionally, it's across the spectrum. Liberals and conservatives all agreed that free speech was absolutely foundational and that, you know, there was no debate. And now it's sort of become more contentious with social media. And so when you actually look at like the criticism of free speech online now is, oh, my God, it causes radicalization. We need to be careful of this. Um, and, you know, I think that in certain scenarios, there is some validity to that. But when you approach it more holistically, you see that the censorship and the d data shows this almost across the board. Censorship causes more radicalization. It causes people to feel victimized and to become more polarized and extreme and even resort to violence because of the censorship. When your your whole platform is being taken from you and you feel like you're being shut down and, and not listened to, and that on the long term, if you just show humanity and compassion for people who may even hate you, that's actually the only way that they can change their minds. If you ban them, you're almost guaranteeing that they will never change their minds. So that's kind of the approach that we're taking. And I don't feel like it's really controversial. It's it's pretty obvious psychologically. You're, you're never going to change if you don't have the ability to learn. And by shutting down communication, you're actually shutting down people's ability to learn. It's so much about framing your experience, reframing your experience online. I mean, because it's so easy to get triggered. Like we can allow ourselves to see something that we disagree with or we think is stupid or, or hateful and offends us. And we can allow that to like ruin our day. You know, it can, we, we, we can choose to have, you know, our uncle at the Thanksgiving dinner table to 
you know, make us want to scream and never talk to him again. Or we can choose to approach it in a completely different way, rooted in compassion, understanding, look, that's a human. They're going through their own thing. And, you know, that's that's okay. And actually, if I want them to change ever, I can't be trying to like convince them what to think. As soon as when someone tries to convince you what to think, it make you shut down. You don't want to listen to them. Like there's nothing worse than being forced to think in a certain way. So you need to let go and then you start to get the results that you want. So it's 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 all psychology. And and you know, networks are just tools for us to express our psychology. Now, what are your thoughts when you hear Mark Zuckerberg talk about meta and the metaverse? I mean, does that feel like a truly new or unique concept to someone like yourself who's been in the business for such a long time? Yeah, I saw an interview where someone was asking about about Meta, and he specifically acknowledged Web3 in the interview. I had never heard the, the phrase Web3 out of his mouth. And so that's very good news. It, it shows that the metaverse eventually, you know, originally formed in the crypto community on on ethereum mostly like there's a project on ethereum called decentraland which is like this whole kind of virtual world where the real where where the land the property is all tokenized so you can sort of buy land in this virtual world and you have an identity and you have an avatar and you know it's it can be correlated with vr and ar and i so i think that you know, the name change is very, it's the last thing that anybody was asking from them. What's more shallow than changing your name rather than your actions in how you're like abusing people, spying on them? Like they didn't change any of that. But, but I think that it's, it's important that they're acknowledging the, I mean, not only are they acknowledging the metaverse, they're becoming it. And the metaverse is rooted in crypto. So I think that's a good sign for you know, they're probably going to have interoperability with Ethereum. So I think there there are good things about it, but there's absolutely no reason to trust Facebook. I mean, it's really sort of terrifying how how little we know about why we get punished on these on these platforms, not just Facebook, it's Twitter, it's YouTube, it's it's every it's it's all of the big tech. They sort of operate in the same in the same way. The algorithms are are unknown. So I think it's super, you know, what's offensive is that, you know, everybody puts so much energy into these platforms and then they just, it's, it's a totally unbalanced relationship dynamic and they don't show any signs of changing any of that behavior. I mean, it means you have a hundred thousand followers, you'll reach like 2% of those people or less or like it's, so I think it's just scary and we just recommend, you know, people back up their situation. You know, you don't want to be over-reliant on, on third parties that you can't control and who have such a history of, of betrayal. So in layman's terms, what exactly is decentralized internet and how does this all work? So it's really just about owning your identity. You know, Web3 is about owning your identity and your content and your or and your 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 audience and your memberships and everything so that that's like a portable system that you can go to any different you can sign into every different network but you're carrying with you your your identity your social graph your your username your you know nfts correlated to your crypto address so the way that it it works like so you have if you make an account on coinbase and you buy some bitcoin or you buy some Ethereum, which people are starting to do more and more. You have a crypto address and 
you can use that to basically sign in to various new decentralized apps. So you sign in with your wallet. Your wallet becomes your identity. So you have your public key, which is the address that people send stuff to you. And you have your private key, which is your, you know, basically password that only you control. No one, no other third party has access to that. So you control your assets. It's sort of reversing the dynamic. Like on Facebook, they control your identity. When you sign in with Facebook Connect, if it goes down, all the apps that are reliant on logging in with Facebook go down too. But in the crypto world, it doesn't go down. Okay, so let's tackle this in two parts. Let's compare Web 3.0 to Web 2.0. Here's what you have now, and here's what it's going to be in the future. So Web 2 is basically big social media, Twitter, Google, Facebook, you know, these huge centralized silos of data and infrastructure. So you know, you're logging in to their world. And there's all kinds of great things you can do on centralized servers. So it's not as if like Web 2 is just meaningless and completely going away. I think there's always going to be a balance between centralized infrastructure and decentralized infrastructure. It's a, it's a spectrum and they, they need to be balanced, if anything. So, you know, the idea that absolutely, that, that we're going to the far extreme of just absolute decentralization. That's not even really how systems theory works. Web three is where what I mentioned before, it's sort of like you're taking sovereignty over your identity, your content potentially, and the infrastructure is decentralized. So instead of having all of the content sitting in like Amazon, where it can just be gone, it's sitting on a peer-to-peer decentralized system. I mean, people remember like torrents from like downloading music back, you know, back in the 90s. Napster and ideas from that are sort of coming back in a sense. And, you know, everyone knows the power of Napster. I mean, that it, it rocked the whole music industry and it, ne- it was never the same. And so these decentralized systems work more like that. All right. So now I'm connecting a Coinbase wallet, which has come to be much more accepted over time. Coinbase is actually traded now. So let's say I'm trying to figure out if I should invest in cryptocurrency. How do I spend it? How would you educate someone on why cryptocurrency and decentralized finance is going to grow into the future? Yeah, I just feel like inevitably every industry is going to be disrupted by open decentralized systems. And we, we already have evidence of that. I mean, you know, Linux, which is the you know, the operating system sort of disrupt like most of the global infrastructure runs on linux uh you know mozilla firefox the the brave browser wikipedia wordpress these are all open source projects meaning the source code anyone can take it make it their own customize it those projects are winning because of how open and accessible and collaborative they are and they are disrupting the sort of secretive closed source alternatives and you know bitcoin is disrupting the financial system because it's an open, transparent, fair, sound economic system. This is what, you know, the, the, the fascinating thing about Bitcoin and Ethereum, both capitalists and communists love it. It's, it's one of the few types of systems that you get people from opposite sides of the political spectrum, but they sort of both agree, oh, wait a second, this is actually fair for the people. And ownership of crypto as sort of an, a, a stake in the future infrastructure of the world. It's like, Imagine if you could have a, a piece, you know, own a piece of the internet. To have a stake in that is a very smart idea. And this is why we're seeing 
billions of dollars of venture capital pour into Web3 and crypto and Bitcoin. And, you know, El Salvador is adopting Bitcoin as legal tender. It's like it's happening. That's fascinating. And so knowing that, tell us the vision for the future of mines and what you want it to grow into. We are trying to decentralize our infrastructure as much as possible. It's just like creating this life form in the Internet, which can just spread. So that's really interesting to me. And then so we have this product called Minds Plus, which we've been working on, which is essentially a rev share for members. So it's like five bucks a month. But if you post, if you're a Minds Plus member and you post popular content that month, we actually take a quarter of our revenue and proportionally share that with all the creators who posted that month. Imagine if Netflix allowed you to upload a film and then at the, if it performed well, at the end of the month, they would actually pay you out. That's based on, you know, as a percentage of their revenue. And that is, a, is really interesting because it allows us to not rely on like surveillance advertising, which is what all of the big tech networks are relying on. You know, this is a, an existential thing that I, I have talks with you know, other companies and friends who have companies all the time. And they're always like, yeah, but I'm so scared to open source my code. Like, I feel like, I feel like people are just going to steal my idea. And like, it's a totally irrational fear that really, it might apply to like certain types of inventions, but I think in terms of software, it, it really doesn't. For instance, in our license, anyone can take it, do whatever they want with it, modify it, monetize it. But if they make changes, all of the changes they make have to get shared with us and with the whole community. So it keeps all of the innovation free and open. You know, a great example of that is Elon Musk releasing open source code for Teslas. I've sent him notes about that. I think it was great that what, what they did, but what they did was not exactly open source. It was more so they made statements that they would not come after people. They sort of opened their patents. They didn't open source the actual blueprints of their batteries or of their cars or the source code of the Tesla. I, I've sent him messages. I'm like, Elon, you got to open source the, the code of the Teslas. Well, that's fantastic that you reached out to him because things like that could really push the auto industry forward in terms of collaboration. Yeah, I completely agree. Like the, the meritocracy of it is key. Well, we can't be a top podcast and not talk about your appearance on Joe Rogan's show. And it seems like podcasts like his show and The Action Catalyst are where people are gravitating more towards their information. I'm sure it wasn't as big as being on The Action Catalyst, but what was that experience like? Yeah, Joe's the man. I mean, he's such a balanced thinker and fair and just curious. You know, that's really what it's all about. I mean, when you talk to people who aren't curious and are just pushing agendas, it's, it's just like unbearable. And, 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 and so I, I even try to play devil's advocate with myself constantly and, you know, try to steal man the other person's opinion, which means like making the best version of your opponent's argument. And like, I do want to look for holes in, in our philosophy and I, I don't consider what we're doing to be perfect or, you know, the absolute, you know, best solution. It's, um, it's, I, I don't want to become dogmatic myself. And I think that it's so cool to watch these, these podcasts become the mainstream media. That's, that's literally what you said. I mean, that is the case. People are listening to multi-hour long-form conversations as their primary source of information now. And that's a good thing. That has nuance. That has 
you know, fun, that has comedy, that has silliness. Everything isn't so serious. And I, you know, and that's where like all the stuff with comedy and free speech is so important because people have to understand that like comedy, even super dark comedy, society needs that. If we don't have that, then that gets taken away then people start to behave in very unhealthy ways. <laughs> so it's good to give people that liberty to, to vent in that sense. And I'm just, I'm psyched that this new media is taking over the legacy media. I think that there's almost like media two, media three happening. And it has very similar principles in terms of how open and accessible and, and free it is. That's a great way to put it. We're in web 3.0. And now it seems like we're entering media 3.0 as well. And I think education is about to go through the same revolution. Here at Southwestern Family of Companies, we have the Global Academy. And it's a big part of our vision to becoming the leader in at-home learning. Yeah, it's crazy to be able to learn anything at any time through the internet and for schools not to be adapting to that. You know, they won't be able to keep up. I mean, literally kids are going to be doing more education just watching videos and listening to podcasts than they're going to be in school. And, and so if the education system can adopt those mediums, like then people will be obsessed with learning. I mean, I can't stop listening to podcasts. Like I literally will like fall asleep listening to them. I just it's all day. I just want more information. I need to like I'm addicted to it. I need to stop. So I'm sure we have some listeners whose minds are just blown away now. What next steps would you recommend to learn and engage more with these emerging technologies we've been discussing with you and with Minds.com? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's all about using the tools of the new systems. So on like on a daily basis. And so it doesn't have to be a huge commitment. Like, yeah, we're still all going to be using big tech a little bit. We're still all like in sort of that that Web2 realm a little so it's not like you have to go cold turkey but it's like yeah sign up for mines uh or other you know tools that we've mentioned you know get a little bit of crypto you know use brave instead of you know chrome or safari like those browsers don't care about you and it's basically no sweat off your back to switch browsers and those little moves i mean just just listening to the power structure of the planet is driven by activity. When you listen to all of these different people we've been talking about or participate in these different networks, that is helping. That's that's really all that needs to happen. And like, if everybody does that a little bit, then the power structure shifts. So yeah, I mean, if you want to reach out to me, I'm just at Otman, O-T-T-M-A-N on Mind. You can hit me up, shoot me a message, end-to-end uh, -end encrypted. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I try to be as accessible as possible. The fact that you're you're hearing this now, like, and this is all happening now, it's still early. Bill, I really appreciate how you've been able to keep things simple while walking myself and our listeners through these complex topics. And we really appreciate you joining us today. Thanks so much for being on the Action Catalyst. Yeah, let's keep it going. Let's keep talking and see where it goes. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.